Chapter Nineteen of Some Everyday Folk and Dawn by Miles Franklin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An opportunely inopportune douche. It was just as well that Dora Eward had been too chop-fallen to come in, for we found the place in what Grandma termed a uproar. As we had gone out, Mrs. Bray had arrived to relate her speculations in regard to Mrs. Rooney Molyneux. Mrs. Bray did not live a great distance from the latter's cottage, and as she had not seen her about during the day, wondered had she come to her travail. Andrew decided the matter when he came home by relating what he had heard when passing the cottage, and he supplemented the statement by the deplorable information that the old bloke is up at Jiminy's trying if he can get a free drink. I must go to her, said Grandma, rising in haste. I wouldn't if I was you, said Mrs. Bray. You don't never get no thanks for nothing like that, and might get yourself into a mess. I believe in leaving people to manage their own affairs. Carrie sniffed in the background. I'll risk all that, said Grandma. For shame's sake and the sake of me daughters and every other woman, I couldn't leave one of me sex in that predicament. Oh, well, some people is wonderful strong in the nerve that way said Mrs. Bray, and Carrie interjected in an aside, and others are mighty strong in the nerve of selfishness. Of course, nothing would give me greater pleasure than to go, continued Mrs. Bray, but I would be of no use. I'm so pitiful, sensitive, and nervous that way. It's a grand thing, then, that some are hard and not so sensitive, or people could die and no one would help them, said Carrie, no longer able to contain her measure of Mrs. Bray. Uncle Jake had the sulky in readiness, and Grandma, with a collection of requisites, appeared with a great old shawl about her, Irish fashion. "'Come, you Dawn, I want your help. I'm not as strong as I once was. And, Andrew, you come too. You'll do to send for the doctor. And who'll take care of the pony?' I volunteered, and though a rotten stick to depend on, was accepted, and we three women rode in the sulky while Andrew ran behind. Having arrived at the little cottage halfway between Clay's and town, we found it was too sadly true that the poor little woman was alone in her trouble, and worse, she had not had the means to prepare for it, while most ghastly of all, there was no trace of her having had any nourishment that day. These are the sad cases of poverty, when the helpless victim is not of the calibre which can beg, and suffers an empty larder in silence, and behind an appearance of respectability. The capable old grandmother had prepared herself for this possibility, and from under her capacious shawl produced a bottle of broth, which she set about warming. She may not have been at first hand acquainted with the few silk-wrapped lives run according to the methods scheduled in first-class etiquette books, but she had a very resourceful and far-seeing grip of that style of existence, into which, regardless of inclination or capability, the great majority are forced by domineering circumstance, and being competent to grapple with its emergencies, she took hold of this case without humbug, and with the fortitude and skill of a Japanese general. As though the main trouble were not enough, the poor little wife was further smitten with the two-edged mental anguish which is the experience of sensitive women whose husbands neglect them at this crisis of the maternal Gethsemane. Dr. Smalley, who soon appeared after receiving Andrew's message, was not sufficiently finely strung to fully estimate the evil effect of Rooney Molyneux's behaviour at this juncture. But not so the fine old woman of the ranks, with her quick perceptions 
and high and sensitive sentiment regarding the bedrock relations of life. Calling the doctor out during an interval, she discussed the matter within my hearing. Poor little thing. She's just heartbroke with the way her husband's carrying on. I wish I could deliver him up to Mrs. Braterscald. He's one of em deserves it, pure and simple. If Jim Clay had forsook me and demeaned me like this, I would have died. But he was always tenderer than a mother. Something will have to be done. I'll send Andrew to Jiminy's with the sulky to get him. He can get Danby to help him if he can't manage him himself. And take the old varmint down to my place and keep him there secure. Tell Jake there it's got to be done, and I'll make up a yarn to pacify the poor thing. And returning to her patient, to the old dame's credit, truthful though she was, I heard her say, "'Your husband's been fidgeting me, and I never can stand any one but the doctor about at these times, so I bundled him off down to stay with Jake, and gave him strict instructions not to poke his nose back here till he sent for.' What diplomat could have made it more kindly tactful than that? "'Quite right, too,' said the doctor, upholding her. "'When I see it's going to be a good case like this, I always banish the man, too.' "'But I could have seen him.' "'And the poor fellow, I'm sure, is overwhelmed with anxiety,' said the hapless little martyr in the brave make-believe that is a compulsory science with most women. "'Well, we ain't so anxious about him as we are about you,' said the valiant old woman. "'You're the chief person now. He ain't no consideration at all, and can go and bag his head for all we care while we get you out of this fix.' I sat upon the veranda until Andrew passed, taking home with him the noble Rooney Molyneux, lordly scion of an ancient and doubtless effete house and then the doctor banished dawn from the house giving her into my charge with instructions to take her home and calm her down had she been the heroine of a romance she would have been a born nurse without any training or experience she could have surpassed florence nightingale but alas she was merely an everyday girl in real life and this being her first actual experience of the tragedy of birth and the terror of it being intensified and aggravated by the pitiable surrounding circumstances, she was beside herself. She clung to me, choked with a flood of tears, and palpitating in an unbearable tumult of emotion. This case, so pathetically ordinary, that most of us are debased by acquaintance with similar, to this girl was fresh, and striking her in all its inexcusable barbarity, without any extenuating glows, made her furious with pain and righteous indignation. I led her about by devious ways, that her heart might cool ere we reached Clay's. The cloudless, breezeless night, though not yet severely cold, was crisp with the purity of frost, and sweet with the exquisite scent of flowering loquats. The only sounds breaking its stillness were the trains passing along the long viaduct approaching the bridge and the rumble of the vehicles as they ground their homeward way along the stony road, their lights flashing as they passed, and snatches of the occupant's conversation reaching us where we walked on a path beside the main thoroughfare. The heavens were a spangled glory, and the dark sleeping lands gave forth a fresh pleasant odour. Man provided the only discordant note, but for the jarring of his misdoings there would have been perfect peace. Oh, the hot young heart that raged by my side! I too had forded the cruel torrent of facts that was torturing her mind. I knew, I understood. By and by she would arrive at my face, and have somewhat of my calmness, 
but to tell her so would merely have been the preaching so deservedly and naturally abhorred by the young and except for holding her hand in a tight clasp i was apparently unresponsive as she grew quieter i steered for home and eventually we arrived at the door of the kitchen and found there jake andrew and the rooney molyneux a small man with a large beard and the type of aristocratic face furnished with a long protruding nose and a narrow retreating forehead carrie up aloft like the angels could be heard practising on my piano and the soiled utensils scattered on the table illustrated that the gentleman had had refreshments it being dawn's week in the kitchen she set about collecting the cups in the wash-up dish and presently some maudlin expression of sentiment on the part of the rooney molyneux reopened the vials of her indignation i'm naturally anxious that it may be a son he drivelled as there are so few male representatives of the old name now and the sooner there's none the better there is no excuse for the likes of you being alive i'd like to assist in the extermination of your family by putting you in the boiling copper on washing day that would give you a taste of your desserts raged the girl she was speaking without restraint in the light of the high demands of crude impetuous merciless youth i had once felt as she did but now i could see the cruel train of conditions behind certain characters forcing them into different positions and in place of dawn's wholesome justifiable hot-headed rage against the likes of rooney hyphen i felt for him a contempt so immeasurable that it almost toppled over and became pity seeing the little sense of responsibility that is inculcated regarding the laws of being instead of being shocked at the familiarity of the rooney molyneux type of husband and father i gave myself up to agreeable surprise owing to the large number of noble and worthy parents i had discovered the world does soil our minds and we soil it time brings the tolerance that hides the truth but dawn had not yet sunk to the apathy engendered by experience and familiarity she had judged the case on its merits as it would be handled by an administrator of the law the common law we must all keep she did not imagine a network of exculpatory conditions or go squinting round corners to draw it into line as an act for which circumstances rather than the culprit were responsible she gazed straight and honestly and saw a crime dawn you shameless hussy you ought to be ashamed of yourself said her uncle oh yes i'm well aware that any girl who says the straight truth about the things that concern them most in life ought to be ashamed of herself they should hold their tongues except to flatter the men who trample them in the dust that's the proper and womanly attitude for a girl i know she said desperately i'm sure this is uncalled for simpered the hero of the act rising and showing signs of looking for his hat you'd better run and tell your wife you've been insulted poor little dear said dawn look said andrew to me uneasily tell dawn to dry up will you she'll take no notice of me and if that fellow goes home actin the goat i'll get the blame and he ain't drunk enough to be shut up blow him i say i'm sure said mr rooney molyneux who apparently had various things mixed with politics that some men though the women have taken the votes and their manhood still have some rights bless me it must be acknowledged that they have some rights in creation 
here he made an ineffectual grab for his hat and a sprawling plunge in the direction of the door saying i've never been so insulted blow you sit down mr mooney rollino or whatever you are said andrew you've got to stay here and dawn hold your mag you'd give anyone the pip with your infernal gab i'm sure it must be conceded that men have some rights mr rooney molyneux appealed to me i was the most responsible person present uncle jake did not count the other three were children and so it behoved me to take a grip of the situation rights in creation i should rather think so in creation men have the rights or perhaps duties of gods to protect to nurture to guard and to love and when as a majority men rise to them we shall be a great people but for the present the only rights many of them rest and assert by mere superior brute force are those of bullies and selfish cowards sit down immediately he sat without delay all that dawn says of you is deserved the least you can do now to repair matters is to swallow your pill noiselessly and give no further trouble until you are called upon to obstruct the way again in semblance of discharging responsibilities of which a cat would be twice as capable yes said dawn if you dare to talk of going home to worry your wife i'll throw this dish of water right on you and when i come to think of things i feel like throwing a hot one on every man as she said this she swelled her dishcloth to clean the bowl and turning to toss the water into the drain outside the door confronted ernest breslaw quite two hours had elapsed since he had parted from us to conduct miss grosvenor to her home where he had been long delayed in argument concerning whether he could or could not address a public meeting i discovered later that an opportunity to gracefully take his leave from grosvenor's had not occurred earlier and that he had quite relinquished hope of calling at clay's that night but to his surprise seeing the place lighted as he was passing he came towards the kitchen door dawn was doubtless piqued that he should have spent so much time with miss grosvenor which considering his previous attentions to her and the rules of the game as observed in this stratum of society gave him the semblance of flirting perfidious action worthy of the miscreant man in the beginning of a career which at a maturer stage should cover cruelty and cowardice equalling that of rooney molyneux dawn lacked restraint in her emotional outbursts the poor girl's state of nervousness bordered on hysteria the water was nearly out of her hand in any case and with a smack of that irritated divergence from lawful and decorous conduct of which the sanest of us are at times the victim she pitched the dish of greasy warm water fairly on the immaculate young athlete accompanying the action with the ejaculation that's what you deserve too i demand he exclaimed but further utterance was drowned by a hearty guffaw from andrew which fully confirmed the outrageous insult just what i should expect of you sneered uncle jake while mr rooney molyneux his attention thus diverted from his own affairs gazed in watery-eyed surprise at a second victim of the retributive dawn well that's about what you'd expect from a thing earning her living but never of a young lady in a good home of her own and living with the mother of a family said carrie appearing in time to witness the accident i said nothing to the white-faced girl for there was more urgent work to be done in repairing the damage 
hurrying through the house and reefing my skirts on the naked rose bushes under Miss Flip's window, where the dead girl's skirts had caught as she went out to die, I gained a point intercepting Ernest as he strode along the path leading to the bridge. Ernest! You must excuse me tonight, he said, showing that my intervention was most unwelcome. Ernest, if you have any friendship for me, stop. I must speak to you, and I'm not feeling able for much more tonight. Thus I did make a lever of my invalidism, and in the gentleness of his strength he submitted to be detained. Some men would have covered their annoyance with humorous satire, but Ernest was not furnished with this weapon. He only had physical strength, and that could not avail him in such an instance. I placed my hand on his arm, ostensibly for support, but in reality to be sure of his detention, and found that he was saturated. Not a pleasant experience on a frosty night, but there was no danger of it proving deleterious to one in his present state of excitement. Being one of those natures whose emotions, though not subtle, make up for this deficiency in wholesome thoroughness, he was furious with the rage of heated youth not given to spending itself on every adventitious excuse for annoyance, and debarred by conditions from any sort of retaliation. In addition to being bitterly wounded, his sporting instinct was bruised, and he chafed under the unfairness of the blow. The beauty of the cloudless, breezeless night had been supplemented by a lopsided moon, risen sufficiently to show the exquisite mists hanging like great swaths of white gossamer in the hollows, and to cast the shadows of the buildings and trees in the silent river, at this time of the year looking so cold and treacherous in its rippleless flow. The wet grass was stiffening with frost, and the only sounds disturbing the chillier purity of advancing night were the erratic bell at the bridge, and the far-off rumble of a train on the mountainside. Man still afforded the discordant note, and the only heat in the surroundings was that in the burning young heart that raged by my side. Oh, youth, youth, you must each look back and see for yourselves in the aft-light cast by later experience, the mountains and fiery ordeals you made for yourselves out of molehills in the matter of heartbreak. We, whose hair is white, cannot help you, though we have gone before, and know so well the cruel stretches on the road you travel. Ernest waited for me to take the initiative, and as everything that rose to my lips seemed banal, we stood awkwardly silent till he was forced into saying, "'I'm afraid you are overdoing yourself. Can I not help you to your room? You will be ill.' "'The only thing that would overdo me is that you should be upset about this. It must not make any difference.' "'Difference? Between you and me?' "'Nothing short of an earthquake could do that,' he replied. "'I mean with Dawn. It must not make any difference with her. It was only a freak.' "'Certainly. I would be a long time retaliating upon a lady, no matter what she did to me. But when—when—' He could not bring himself to name it. It struck him as so disgraceful. She intimates to me— as plainly as was done to-night, that she disapproves of my presence in her house. Well, a fellow would want pole-axing if he hadn't pride to take a hint like that. She did not mean anything. She will be more hurt than you are. Mean anything? Had it been a joke, I could have managed to endure it, or an accident about which she would have worried. I would have been amused. But it was deliberate. And if it had been clean water, but, ugh! 
It was greasy slop water to make it as bad as it could be, and if a man had done it. The muscles of his arm expanded under my interested touch as he made a fist of the strong brown hand. But being a girl, I can only put up with it, he said, with the helplessness of the athlete in dealing with such a delinquent. Did you hear what she said, too? Great Scott! It is not as though I had done her any harm. I merely came here to see a friend, and made myself agreeable because you said she was good to you, and, dear me, his voice broke with the fervour of his perturbation. He had been wounded to the core of his manly amour propre, and to state that he was not more than twenty-five gives a better idea of his state of mind than could any amount of laborious diagnosis. "'What can I have done?' he further ejaculated. "'Can someone have told her falsely that I am a cad in any way? She might have waited until she proved it. I would not have believed had anyone spoken badly of her.' here an inadvertent confession of the growing affection he felt for her. Even if I were deserving of such ignominy, it was none of her business. I only came to see you. She had nothing to do with me. Then I took hold of this splendidly muscular young creature, wounded to the quick. I determinedly usurped a mother's privilege in regard to the situation, and glancing back over my barren life, I would that I had been the mother of just such a son. What a kingdom t'would have been! And in the order of things, being forced to surrender him to another's keeping, I could not have chosen a better or more suitable than Dawn. Entering his principality to reign as queen, while his manhood was yet an unsacked stronghold, she was of the character and determination to steer him in the way of uprightness to the end. Wistfulness upsprung as I reviewed my empty life but rude reality suddenly uprose and obliterated ideality. It put on the scroll a picture of motherhood, and mother love wantonly squandered, trodden in the mire, and, instead of being recognised as a kingdom, treated only as a weakness, and traded upon to enslave women. I turned with a sigh, and we walked round a corner of the garden, where, in one recent instance, appallingly common, a poor frail woman had crept out in the dead of night to pay alone the penalty of a crime incurred by two, one foolish and weak, the other murderously, selfishly, a coward. I addressed Ernest Breslaw regarding the painful effect this tragedy had produced on the mind of Dawn, and how it had been further overstrung by the later one, and concluded, Had I expressed my inward feelings in outward actions at Dawn's age, and being armed with a dish of water, to have thrown it on the nearest individual would have been a very mild ebullition. But I set my teeth against outward expression, and let it fester in my heart, while the beauty of Dawn's disposition is that her feelings all come out. She has disgraced herself by making outward demonstration of what many inwardly feel. But understanding what I have put before you, you must not hold the girl responsible for her action. With masculine simplicity he was unable to comprehend the complexity of feminine emotions engendered by the exigencies of the more artificial and suppressed conditions of life as forced upon women. I understand about old Rooney. I feel as disgusted with him as anyone does. But I am not going to emulate him. I'd jolly well cut my throat first. And if I could lay my hand on the snake at the root of the drowning case, I'd make one to roast him alive. 
what made miss dawn confound me with that sort she doesn't for an instant do so on the contrary she would be the first to repudiate such a suggestion good lord then why did she throw that stuff on me it was only fit for a criminal can you not grasp that she was irritated beyond endurance with the unwholesomeness of the whole system of life in relation to women and that for the moment you appeared as one of the army of oppressors but that isn't fair i know enough of women some women to make one shudder with repulsion but there would be no sense or justice in venting my disgust on you or the other good ones he contended quite so but our moral laws are such that some issues are more repulsive to a woman than a man and you must admit there are heavy arguments could be brought in extenuation of dawn's attitude of mind when the water slipped out of her hand there's no doubt women do have to swallow a lot he said you don't feel so angry on account of the impetuous dawn's act now do you it doesn't look so bad in the teeth of your argument and if she would only say something to explain i won't mind but otherwise i'll have sense to make myself scarce in this neighbourhood i'm afraid her vanity will be too wounded for her to give in i'll make it as easy for her as i can but good lord i can't go to her and apologise because she threw dirty water on me well i'll bid you good-night i must run to dawn i expect she is sobbing her heart out by this and biting her pretty curled lips to relieve her feelings her lips that were meant for kisses not cruel usage good heavens do you really think she'll feel like that he asked in astonishment i'm certain but i can't see why she might have had reason had i been the aggressor if you had hurt her she would not feel half so bad you would be a hopeless booby if you could not understand that really now if i thought she would take it that way it would make all the difference in the world but had she desired to dispatch me half that energy of insult would do he said drawing up while hardness crept into his voice but it softened again as he concluded i wouldn't like her to be upset about it though if she didn't quite mean it well you can be sure that in regard to you she was very far from meaning it and that she will be dreadfully upset about it so think of what i've said and come and see me in the morning now that he had grown calm he was shivering with the cold so i bade him run home on returning to the house i found andrew the solitary watcher of his charge who covered by an old cloak was snoring on the kitchen sofa dear me where are they all in bed and look at his nibs there i reckon i took a wrinkle from dawn as how to manage him soon as everyone's back was turned he began actin the goat again and makin for home and i thought here goes i don't care a hang if all the others roused on me like blazes so long as grandma don't she's the only one makes me sit up so i flung water on him not warm water but real cold it took seven years growth out of him and then i gave him a drink of hot coffee and undressed him and he was jolly glad to lay down there why you'll give the man a cold no jolly fear i took his clothes off i've got em dryin here i couldn't find any of my gear and wasn't game to ask uncle jake so i clapped him into a night-dress of grandma's look he's got his hand out i reckon the frill looks all so gay don't you i bet grandma will rouse but i'll have a little peace with him now and chance the ducks said the resourceful warder whose charge really looked so absurd that i was provoked to laughter how did you manage him was he tractable 
he soon dropped that there was no good in being nothing else he spluttered something about me disgracing him because something on his crest said he was brave or something but i told him i didn't care a hang if he had a crest the size of a clock or two or was as bald as uncle jake that i was full of him acting the goat and that finished him enough too i laughed as i bade the australian lad with the very australian estimate of the unimportance of some things sacred to english minds the australian parting salute so long End of chapter 19